This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Stephen Krasowski, Communications Manager at RMA. The events related to COVID-19 challenged institutions, but also highlighted the value of effective risk management programs and practices. In a session at RMA's Governance, Compliance, and Operational Resiliency Conference, Caitlin Barry, Senior Vice President and Head of Non-Financial Risk Strategy and Programs at Regions Bank, offers lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic and leveraging operational risk management practices in stress scenarios. She also discusses what's next and the importance of resilient risk management frameworks to successfully manage any transformative event. An excerpt from this session follows. I'm Caitlin Berry. I lead our non-financial risk strategy and programs team at Regions Bank. So for the legal jargon, just to make sure I get that in for my organization, these opinions are mine. They are not those of Regions Bank. So again, we'll discuss three key points, key learnings from COVID-19 and how they can be leveraged, how foundational risk management programs and governance can be utilized to manage a crisis, hopefully with very little disruption to your organization, and then what's on the horizon. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit, we'll hypothesize about some things that may be coming and how the risk management practices learned in the pandemic can be applied to really any transformational event. And so I think this timeline can be a little bit overwhelming for some, right? So we'll look at, let's look here. So we start in December of 2019, where the first cases of COVID really emerged in China. But I really wanna focus on this little circle here that says March and April of 2020. And so one thing here to note is that I, I received this timeline from Macmillan Learning. So this will be in your children's textbooks or the future generations textbooks at some point where they'll be talking about this historical event. But those words there for the March and April 2020, where it says border sealed, schools and workplaces closed, events canceled, masking and social distancing started. I mean, that's a lot, right? Wow, that's a, a lot in one sentence. Um, and I think we all have felt it in some way, shape or form over the last two years. Just thinking back to that makes me cringe a little. Um, so while I myself, I'm somewhat extroverted, I live with the seven-year-old daughter who is extremely extroverted. She was in kindergarten at this time. And when her school was closed, I, she cried. Um, and little did I know that I would probably be crying and was crying over the last, the next couple of weeks while she was trying to mute and unmute herself on virtual school. So I know we all have dealt with some things like that related to the pandemic. I mean, do you remember the day you left the office? What was it like? Did you think it was only gonna be for a few months? I think I naively left with a laptop, right? And here I am now, happy to be back in my office today, but I have a virtual or a unique setup just like this at home. So now we've got two setups, we've got home, we've got office, we never kind of thought that this would happen. Some of us may be now permanently at home um, or maybe you're getting to come back into the office. So we're all in this like different stage of transition back from feeling all of this over the last two years. I remember too, that the grocery aisles were just empty, right? Especially when back, if you look back at the beginning and we thought that you could get this virus from touching things, right? So cleaning products, we couldn't find them, couldn't find hand sanitizer anywhere. I think I actually created a Google alert for hand sanitizer to be able to find it on the shopping sites when I could. So it's really hard, I think, for us to look back over these two years. I think it can be painful in many respects. Some of us lost people that we love. I think others felt 
a lot of stress, right? A lot of anxiety. A lot of us were wearing many hats, you know, teacher, parent, caregiver, just, and worker, just a few examples. Um, if you'll allow me one more story here before we kind of get into the risk management topics that you're all wanting to hear, I think you all might uh, find this a little bit funny or you um, maybe can feel some of the pain that I felt during this time. But I can recall one of the days where I was trying to keep my two-year-old busy. He we were at home, you know, everything was closed and I was trying to be on a, a work call, probably a Zoom call. And I was feeling really guilty. I had put him in front of screens, iPads, all kinds of stuff to keep him you know, occupied so I could do my job. And so I was like, hey, I'm just gonna give him this. So I have this bag of plastic eggs and I gave him all these plastic eggs and thought he would play with them. Some of them had little head coins and it was making noise and he was having a great time. Um, all of a sudden I hear just this bag spill completely. Well, he had discovered floor vents in our home. So there were 50 plastic eggs down these floor vents and I couldn't believe it. I mean, you've really probably never lived until you've had to you know, get off a work call and get your vacuum out to get plastic eggs out of your floor vent. So I think all of us have this story, right? Somebody, ha you have this story about something like that that happened while you were trying to manage risk for your company, manage risk in your home, just make it through. And so the silver lining for me in all of this, and hopefully for some of you, is that risk management was a really great place to be during this time. Um, the pandemic is really a tangible example for everyone about why good risk management practices are so important. It was exciting to watch that these programs that we had spent time to help identify and measure and monitor risk were really coming to life and being used in a way that wasn't day-to-day -day or in some respects, some people feel checked the box, but it was really being used to manage risk in response to an event. So the next time somebody asks you what value risk management brings to an organization, uh, you know, since sometimes we like to be, get reminded that we're not revenue producing, you can just simply remind them that they all made it through this pandemic in their organization. Um, and that we did, they did that largely because your organization, maybe even you as a risk manager, gave them tools to effectively manage risk and to make sure that they had a resilient company. They were all increasing their risk IQ and probably didn't even know it. So I think we're getting close to the end here. This timeline ends in March, I think, of 2019, a little bit there. You saw the Omicron in January. So we're starting to feel now this light at the end of the tunnel a little bit. Um, even if you can still, and maybe some of those things I talked about are starting to become distant memories. I hope so for some of you. But let's think back a little bit more about the impact that it had to all of our organizations. So the pandemic, it challenged every aspect of a typical business model. And it introduced unprecedented levels of change, organizational change specifically. So we all know that change can bring about risk, right? Inherently change brings about any kind of any kind of inherent change to your risk. It might need to be mitigated through new controls, new activities. And so, you know, you can have more operational risk failures when things change, especially if they're not well managed or they happen to be rapid. And so it was extremely important for us to make sure that while we were making all of these changes to maintain our businesses, that we were doing things in a risk-minded way. And we were activating those crisis risk management programs 
using our risk management programs to understand the changes to people, process, technology, all the things that are operational risk. And when you think about it, you know, the thing that really happened at the beginning was remote, was going to work from home, right? So when we did that, how did that happen? Did it happen easily for your company? Were you able to understand which controls needed to be changed or which processes were going to be changed, what new risk that would introduce? And were you able to do that in a way where you were upholding the resiliency of your company, but also thinking about it in terms of risk appetite, right? So it was equally important to understand what was changing and then also what needed to be maintained and then reflecting on that against risk appetite. I just have some things listed out here on the screen for all of you just to remind us of some of the impact to the financial institutions, but remote work of employees, remote work of our third parties, branch changes if you had a branch structure for banks. So appointments, drive-through, virtual, sometimes just closed, um, technology enhancements, right? We really needed to lean into technology. Some of us didn't even have great, you know, virtual meeting options um, at the beginning of the pandemic. And then you saw accelerated digital and virtual offerings and services for customers. I think you probably saw more communication from your company that you than you ever received. You probably also received all of that communication as a customer. And then quickly we had masks, barriers, social distancing, enhanced cleaning. Um, you also probably had some restricted travel. We had quarantines that were going on, infection response plans. We also had at the same time, all the government relief programs that impacted financial institutions. So think about the CARES Act, PPP. Um, and then of course we had vaccine orders and state rules. All of these things were happening to financial institutions at the time that you were trying to manage risk, whether at home or at your company. And so all of these things needed to be managed. And I think, you know, initially that greatest response, like I said, was in going to work from home. But at the same time, all of our vendors and our third party relationships were also going to work from home. Most of our customers were going to work from home. So all of this change was happening. And over time, we were supporting new business models. And we had to make sure that we were doing that in a risk-minded way. We're going to talk a little bit more about the use of those risk programs and really the foundation of those operational risk management programs to help do how to see how we did this. And in some cases, some lessons learned about things that we might want to change related to those risk programs in the future. So like I said, the role of risk management, let's talk a little bit about the role of risk management. I think one might even call it the historic role of risk management in relation to the pandemic. Um, no one wanted this, right? But these circumstances have shown the value of good risk management and risk programs. And like I said earlier, it was really exciting for me and my organization to see that the time that we had spent on developing the foundation of these programs over the years served us well in our risk response. And so I'm going to talk a little bit later in the presentation with some questions you can ask yourself about if your risk programs are ready to weather the next response. But it was great because we had so many operational risk programs, practices, and tools that were quickly utilized to assess them and mitigate the effects of the pandemic. And so things like your scenario analysis program, right? So scenario analysis workshops, probably everyone had one related to the pandemic or some kind of disruption event that could be utilized, but it was probably sitting on your shelf. Nobody really probably ever thought that this pandemic black swan type event was gonna come to fruition. But if you had one, you could quickly refresh it 
get it off that shelf, understand the risk that you had, think about any changes you might want to make to your readiness for to respond to your crisis management programs. You could even think about the potential operational losses that you had predicted through that exercise. And again, the readiness to respond to that event. So were there things that you had identified when you did a workshop related to the pandemic that were things that you were going to work on to continuously improve? Was your controlled environment okay? Um, so you could kind of dust that off and say, hey, we had identified these opportunities that we needed to fix. Now we have a real life example of it. So we need to fix it and deploy our risk management programs. Or you could just use it as a tool to have already informed your crisis management program. I think additional scenario analysis results were also probably able to be utilized. So if you didn't have one specific to the pandemic, cyber events, natural disasters, any other type of business resilience scenario really would serve you well to inform what your crisis management or your response playbooks to those type of events would look like. I think you, none of us probably ever thought that we were going to need one for the pandemic, um, but it was nice to have something like that in our back pocket to take out. And I think scenario analysis has been evolving in recent years. You know, we used to be more of just a capital planning exercise. Um, and I think the pandemic is a key use case for why having more robust scenario analysis conversations that are used for more than just capital planning is a good thing for risk management. And so later in the presentation, I'm gonna dive a little bit deeper into scenario analysis benefits and some things you can do differently with your scenario analysis programs to bring out more conversations about risks and opportunities instead of just sort of the historical thing that we focused on, which was the numbers related to the loss events. Again, to swiftly respond to the pandemic and move to a mostly remote workforce, other things were utilized as well, right? So think about risk and control self-assessments, targeted risk assessments, even challenge activities that you had in your organization related to risks and controls, all of that could be utilized. So the risk and control self-assessment, if it was performed timely or updated timely, um, let's say that it's refreshed at least annually, it serves as a great inventory for risks and controls and that kind of baseline that you would have before any change from a disruption event comes in. So you were able to quickly look at, okay, this is the risk and control related to this process and activity. It needs to change because we need to go to work from home and this is what needs to change about it. And you could look at it and understand quickly, well, your first line could and your second line could look at it and understand quickly you know, what, what the impact of that was. So was it going to create new risk? Was that change to the control okay? It's essentially kind of like doing a... Um, new risk, a new initiative or a new product assessment, but on a much more um, speedy scale. So kind of triaging the event. And so if you had that risk and control inventory, you could do that really easily. It would help you identify new, new risk related to like when we went to work from home, okay, well, what's the, you know, were they gonna have access to information that they didn't have before? Um, or was that information gonna be more, um, you know, open um, because it is at home and it wasn't in a control environment and that creates a different risk. And so you're able to easily kind of have those conversations about, do you have issue management that comes out of that findings, remediation plans, where you're going to accept some risks. And all of that could come out from having a really good baseline of your risk and control environment. The other thing it enabled was outreach. So if you have a really updated risk and control environment, also third-party assessment, you know who owns those controls, 
you know who owns those third party relationships or is the liaison to those third parties. And you could perform outreach and communication to them very rapidly to understand if anything was going to change when they went to work from home. So we could reach out to those control owners, ask them to identify anything that was going to change in their environment, triage it through that risk assessment, and then use our challenge activities that were already existing in our programs to monitor the impact. So that's the next thing I wanna talk a little bit more about is centralized issue management. So if you have issue management in your company, I think one thing that's great about centralizing it is that everybody is using the same terms and it's a one-stop shop for everyone to be able to understand what issues and are out there um, and which ones are being remediated and what those timelines are. The other thing you can do is do risk acceptances through that. So let's say we went to work from home, but there was really no other option um, to change the control to mitigate that risk. So were we really accepting some risks? Probably. Did you have a way to track that, to aggregate that, to escalate that, to report that? And that was key during the pandemic. So I would say one thing that we're gonna talk a little bit more about if, if your risk programs are ready, is even if you don't have centralized issue management, making sure that you have some way to track issues, remediation, risk acceptances, and report them not only in a siloed view, but in an aggregate view to understand how that may be impacting your overall risk profile. So great if you can slice it down by different levels in your organization, if you can look at it by a business level versus an enterprise level, but key to be able to, one, get it quickly, two, be able to identify themes, three, aggregate and have a holistic viewpoint, and then really maybe use it as a source to escalate and report on anything that you've risk accepted or that issue profile that, you know, if you have enough of those issues that are being remediated, you may have something that aggregates to something that you want to escalate. The other thing that you can do when I talked about challenge and oversight is continuous monitoring of those control impacts. So we had very little time, right? So us as risk managers, somebody would say, yep, okay, we have a function that needs to go work from home during the pandemic. Yeah, they do. They definitely did. They didn't you know, need to be in offices. They didn't need to subject their health. They needed to do that. And it was very quick very little time to think about how that control environment might may need to change. So one of the things that we could do is we could look at the control that needs to change, identify it because you knew through risk and control assessments what that posture was. And so we could make a decision, but put in more continuous monitoring. So let's say, you know, we had an activity that needed to go work from home, but we were a little bit worried about it because maybe it traditionally sat in more of like a white room type environment. You could put in additional monitoring analytics metrics that would help us monitor that on a real-time basis if allowable, or at least just more frequently, so that if something like that was happening, we could go into um, mitigation mode and try to figure out how to, to um, you know, either control that risk while they're still working from home, or maybe have to make a change to that decision that had already been made. The last thing here, well, there's a couple more things here on the page, but capturing and reporting operational losses. So I think that was a little bit of an afterthought for a lot of organizations was that some of these expenses related to the pandemic were actually operational losses. And so uh, one of the things that is um, great if you have an operational loss program, especially one that you um, can reconcile with your GL or that is GL based, is that you could easily capture and report those losses. The other thing that I think is great about it is that if you had a scenario workshop 
and then you also captured operational losses related to the pandemic, you could do a look back analysis to understand if you predicted or were in the ballpark of predicting those operational losses related to a pandemic-like scenario. And then, of course, um, I mentioned this earlier, but you know, the existing new initiative or your product, new product or a business change risk assessment could be utilized to assess risks and controls for new government relief acts. So think about paycheck protection program loans, some of the CARES Act, um, customer relief actions. You could take that through existing business change frameworks or new initiative frameworks to understand the risks, put in monitoring that you needed to have. And you could do the same through for, for vaccine orders. That was just a, bit, a little bit later than that beginning of the pandemic. And then the last thing here, committee reporting of risk and controls findings. I alluded to it, but it was so key during the pandemic to kind of have one place where everyone could see the risk posture related to the response coming together. So if you had a strong risk committee structure in place prior to the pandemic, you were really able to lean into that. And it would allow direct governance of the pandemic response without the need to create new committees, without the need to create new reporting if you were utilizing your existing risk programs. So committees were really able to do their job, right, in providing risk oversight and truly managing that risk. So to recap this, what I called earlier, the historic role of risk management, you should probably should all give yourselves a little round of applause for all the work that you did over the last couple of years. Um, I've listed out a few bullet points on this slide just so that you can remember some of the things and we've talked through all of them, but I will summarize. So oversight, challenge, scenario planning, establishing analytics and monitoring, outreach, risk assessments, continuous monitoring, issue and risk acceptance tracking and reporting, capturing and analyzing operational losses, governance, reporting, escalation, assessing government relief programs, vaccine orders, state and federal laws. I mean, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to get done in any time frame, but especially in one where there was so much anxiety, there was just a lot of unknowns. So like I said earlier, you should all be very proud of yourselves in risk management roles. Give yourselves a little round of applause, pat on the back, um, because I bet you did all of these things too. Um, and if your risk programs were well-established, you probably had very little disruption to your organization or to your customers as well. I think that's the other aspect that sometimes we tend to forget in risk management or kind of gets on the backside of the conversation. But if we do all these things well, and you have limited disruption within your organization related to managing risk controls, it also creates less customer friction. And that's key to any strategy. So all of us, we must be exhausted. Look at all the things that we've done. Maybe we deserve a nice little break without any major disruption for the next couple of years. Um, probably too optimistic. So let's talk about what could be next. All right, so what's next? What's emerging? what's already on the edges of that horizon. Um, let's start with people because people are my favorite. So let's start with people. Uh, people are what makes companies work. But the question is, where are they all going? <laughs> Why are they all leaving? Are we in this so-called great resignation? I heard it the other day called the great reshuffle. Um, has the worst already happened or is there more to come? Experts I think differ on when the great resignation started and if it's already ended or if there really is a great resignation at all. Uh, but one thing I think is certain 
is that there has been a lot of people movement over the past two years. And we can argue about if there's been more people movement in comparison to previous decade. But I think the thing here is there's a lot of people movement. So in 2021, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, over 47 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs. That's a big number. So it really doesn't matter if it was more than what happened previously, if we're actually in this great resignation, this great reshuffle. There's just a lot of inherent risk when there's that amount of change. So um, any kind of change, but people change, right? Because people are the ones in a lot of cases still that operate our controls or that set up our automated controls. And the other thing that's happening too is that now we have not only this great resignation and voluntarily people are leaving in a lot of cases or this just hyper you know, competitive job market, but you've also got this now permanent hybrid, permanent remote models that likely you know, present differently for risk and control purposes than any temporary remote work model that we established for the pandemic or anything that looked previous to the pandemic, any kind of work model. So there's gotta be focus on managing privacy and cyber risk remotely, but also just managing talent, right? So, you know, on top of managing talent in a remote workforce, which presents differently. So you've got hiring risk, termination risk, promotion, discrimination, misconduct in a remote world that looks different than what it did pre-pandemic. You are gonna have, you know, unique risk and unique controls, but the competitive job market is also here for a while. Um, I think experts are saying that, you know, maybe we'll see a decline with interest rate increases, but I think we shall see. We've just seen a lot of people movement over the last two years. So organizations, you know, we're all going to have to make risk-based decisions to retain and attract top talent, um, especially if we want to succeed in continuous improvement or transformational efforts. I think we can kind of all agree, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but you know, during the pandemic response, there was just this focus on stability. So I think everybody is ready for a little bit more change. So the great resignation, I think that's one thing that, right, it's maybe on the, it's already here. So it's on the horizon, right? We're, we're facing it. Um, but is there more to come? And what does that look like related to our risk and control environment? I think the other thing that is already here, right, and is top of mind is geopolitical risk. So, you know, including trade tensions, globalization setbacks, uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict effects, whether it's a primary effect or a secondary effect, you know, organizations in the U.S. have experienced primarily kind of peripheral risk related to Russia-Ukraine, cyber risk, payment risk, supply chain risk. Um, but And while completely different in nature, these geopolitical risks present similar risks to organizations that we experienced during COVID-19 response. So ultimately, right, these emerging risks that we're talking about are all about business resilience. And so if we can make sure that our risk programs are resilient, they can manage any type of emerging risk. So speaking of business resilience, let's talk a little bit about climate and social risk. So this is one area where it necessarily isn't, it's not new, um, it's just evolving rapidly, right? So you could say there's aspects of it that are emerging. Um, and there's some things that some organizations have tackled before others, for, and um, there's really no playbook for it. So social risk, it's not new, evolving rapidly. Um, there's risk and opportunity in how organizations will respond to social expectations of customers, investors, government, 
And then, you know, while the operational risk side of climate risk, especially that related to how climate risk affects our own, our own infrastructures as companies, it's somewhat easier to manage. There's a lot to consider. So, you know, what will climate activism look like over the next couple of years? How does that change your business model? Does it change your business model? Um, does it change risks then? Um, do you have new risks? Do you have new controls that need to be put in place? So, um, will new regulations emerge, right? So let's think about some of the things that we're seeing out there now related to having almost a SOX-like environment related to climate disclosures. So a lot of new things are happening in that space. You know, material supply chain risk could create you know, technology and in infrastructure failures. There's gonna be new compliance needs. So, you know, thinking about all that, Will all that happen? I think, I think yes. I think the answer is yes, likely to some degree to all of those questions. Will we face you know, supply chain risk? Yes. Could we have some impact of technology? Yes. Do we have new compliance needs? Yes. Um, the good news is we already know how to do all of this. We already know how to manage all of this um, because we did it <laughs> during COVID-19. Um, especially if we're you know, talking about just, and we have more of a timeline too, when you're thinking about climate. So putting risk management practices in place now prevents that risk from manifesting to an uncomfortable level in you know, 2030, 2040. And we already learned how to do it during COVID-19 response. So in a few minutes, we'll discuss um, how we know our risk programs are, are ready to manage the next disruption. Uh, until then, I'm gonna spend a little bit more time talking about some of the things that could happen to us. And so um, the next one would be digital transformation. And I alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but everybody was very focused on stability during the pandemic, right? We had people that were impacted with their health. We had people that lost loved ones. We had colleagues that we lost. We had you know, um, disruption in our work life, our home life. And so a lot of things that we wanted to do as organizations that were on our strategic list prior to the pandemic had to be halted for a period of time. So I think everybody is more than ready for a little bit of change, continuous improvement also, because what you saw in the pandemic, right, was the need for digitization. I think it was customers were wanting less, um, less in-person experiences to some degree. We'll have to see if that sticks, but they were asking for things in a more digital way. Um, and we were needing to do that because we did not need to have in-person conversations at the time. So, you know, thinking through some of the things that could be on the horizon for digital transformations, it could be new technologies like robotics. It could be different uses of artificial intelligence, larger use of cloud. I think on the surface, all of that seems pretty straightforward. Um, there are a lot of secondary risks to consider. So those include cyber and data privacy risk. Execution of your strategic initiative can create you know, execution risk that manifests as operational risk in many different forms, third-party risk. So all of that kind of coupled with the need for people to execute this digital transformation in light of what the great resignation, the great reshuffle, what, what the competitive job market, it could be difficult to attract and retain the talent needed to deploy these new technologies. And then hand in hand with digital transformation, let's talk about organizational change. So whether it's new products, 
mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, some amount of organizational change is likely due. Um, you know, I think it's the same reasoning as when we talk about digital transformation. There was some things that were stagnant as we were dealing with the response to COVID-19. So when you have organizational change, digital transformations, all of that change introduces new risk and controls. It could create some kind of disruption. It could create a, uh, something that would, I hope does not rise to the level of what we dealt with with COVID-19, but a smaller disruption. And so all of these things, we need to be able to have our risk programs ready to manage those events. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, how we can have our risk programs ready. We're gonna think a little bit through some questions I have as a checklist that you can ask yourself. Maybe it'll help you think about the maturity of your programs as well. And there's, and these are just a few of the emerging risks that, you know, we're talking about today. Um, it's clearly not all of them. And, you know, depending on your organization, you may be facing different emerging risks. But, you know, if you can think through some of these events and if they would come to fruition, will your risk programs be ready to handle that disruption? So let's explore how we can use common risk practices to manage an event, uh, minimizing disruption to your organization and your customers. All right, so as risk management function, we all have programs to help our organizations identify, measure, mitigate, monitor, and report operational risks. Well, any risk, but we're talking about operational risk primarily today. Um, those are commonly things like risk and control self-assessments, metrics or key risk indicators, operational loss, scenario analysis, issue management, um, a new product and initiative assessment or a business change risk assessment. And we've talked about a lot of these things already, but those are just a few of the ones um, that organizations typically have. So are these programs ready for the next disruption? Risk programs, in my mind, need to be simple, well understood, and repeatable. How did your risk programs hold up during the pandemic? Did you find yourself easily tapping into existing processes and practices? Or did you notice that you had to put a new spin on those things that you had in place or that you didn't have it in place? If you found yourself creating risk programs to manage the pandemic, you likely have more lessons learned. <laughs> Um, which is good, right? Because you can put those into practice before the next event. And you may have some things that you want to strengthen. I think the other thing that we all need to acknowledge is that operational risk as a discipline is not very old. Uh, it's not like managing credit risk. So when you think about, you know, some of these things and some of the programs that we have to manage operational risk, they're not mature in a lot of cases, even if they've been at your organization for a while, they're definitely not as mature if you compare it to something like the way that we manage credit. And so if we acknowledge all that, we all know that there's a, always going to be continuous improvement in these programs. So even if your risk programs did well in managing your pandemic response, keep working on them because there's always something you can do, especially to make them more simple and well understood in your organization and repeatable. If you do that, risk IQ goes up, risk culture goes up, and it's better for, your, for everyone because you're able to manage these events with, with little disruption to your organization and to those customers. Again, good news is that even if you had some trouble during the pandemic and you saw that you needed to change, you know, maybe you didn't have a way to track some of the control changes that were happening or that you didn't have a great escalation path, now you know what to do, right? 
So you know what worked for your organization, what didn't, and you have a response um, and a roadmap. So let's talk about what we need to do to ensure a risk-minded response to an event. So I have four key steps in my mind, and they go back to some of these, pro these questions that I have on the page. So you can think about these questions in relation to these four steps, and maybe it will help you as your organization think about how you might want to change um, or if you want to change your risk programs. But one is understanding of the risk and control environment. A plan, and then we also, the second one is a plan to respond. The third is a way to evaluate change. And the fourth is risk oversight and challenge. So four key steps to managing your response to an event. Understanding the risk and control environment, a plan to respond, a way to evaluate change, and risk oversight and, control, and challenge. Let's talk about the first one, understanding of the risk and control environment. So I alluded to this earlier, but this is best accomplished through some kind of risk and control assessment. Could be a self-assessment, could be a second line performed assessment, but a good baseline of your risk and controls. So this can also include testing, metrics, third-party assessments, IT application assessments, other technology assessments. But they need to be conducted routinely um, because you don't know what's going to come. We don't know when the next event will manifest. Nobody knew that we were going to be going home in March of 2020, um, or for some of you, even earlier than that. So the next one is the second step, which is a plan to respond quickly to the event. So this can be accomplished through business resilience programs, crisis playbooks, and scenario analysis can inform those activities. And I'm gonna talk more about scenario analysis in a few minutes. Uh, the third step is a way to evaluate all that change. So I, I had talked about this earlier. Could you easily perform outreach with your third party owners, with your control owners? Could you quickly ask them, okay, you are going to work from home. What is changing about your process? Um, and then were you able to, you know, quickly kind of use the practices that you have in place related to risk assessment to triage that change and understand if that risk was acceptable, if we needed to do something different, if you needed to put monitoring in place for the change. And so um, some people, you know, also use their business change or their new initiative risk assessment to do that. Uh, I think as long as you're able to do it quickly, um, I, any type of risk assessment will work. And then could you utilize issue management or some other practice to track those control changes, especially those that required remediation activities? And again, I mentioned this earlier, but some of those changes probably had to be risk accepted for a period of time. Um, so do you have a process or a program in place to track those risk acceptances so that you can look at them not only on limited instances, but also in aggregation to understand your total risk posture. And so the last step is effective risk challenge and oversight. So do you have challenge processes you can deploy for acute issues like an activity change, so remote work? And then do you also have some kind of macro view, all the changes made to the controls during the pandemic? So do you have ongoing monitoring practices? Um, it doesn't matter what type of challenge activity it is. It could be some kind of targeted risk assessment. It could be informal challenge. Um, it could be data and analytics, it, anything like that um, to monitor that change that the business made. So all of those things together, those four steps are really helpful to have a risk-minded response. So understanding the risk and control environment, a plan to respond, a way to evaluate change, an effective risk challenge, and oversight. So let's look at this list of questions that I have on the page. 
to help us assess if our risk programs are ready for the next big event. And we've talked about a lot of these before, but I think this is just a nice little takeaway for you if you want to kind of quickly think through these. So are your risk programs and activities well understood across the organization? So we in risk management, we're very apprised of risk management frameworks, including all of our risk management jargon, but others in the organization may not need to know that jargon to actually manage risk. Um, they don't need to necessarily know our taxonomy. They don't need to know kind of all of the, uh, the, the, the risk words that we use. Um, they just need to manage the risk. So, you know, whether it's in some kind of governance risk and compliance tool or some other tool, it just needs to be simple. So don't over-engineer something. Uh, if you do, it likely won't stick and it won't mature your risk IQ and your risk programs won't get utilized. Have to make it easy. Um, I like to say that risk management needs to be accessible to everyone. So it doesn't need to be this thing that sits in the second line that people don't understand and won't utilize. So the next one is your program structure sustainable to manage any event. So I think sometimes in risk management, we like to change things up. I don't know why, maybe because it's fun, uh, maybe because the organization is changing around us and we think we need to, but there's a balance. Uh, your risk programs need to not only be simple, but they need to have consistency to ensure maturity and really advance that risk IQ. It shouldn't matter what the event is, your programs like a risk and control self-assessment, issue management, metrics, third party, they should be built to manage any disruption. Do you have a robust scenario analysis program and inventory to assess your residual risk impact in terms of financial impact and, disrupt and disruption? Have you completed a look back over your pandemic response? Was your risk assessment of your ability to respond to the pandemic accurate? If it was, great. If it wasn't, you have a roadmap for things you might wanna change about your programs. Are your risk management and challenge and oversight activities adaptable and agile? I think that's key. Um, could you take something that maybe in the past, if you were doing some kind of business change risk assessment might normally take you two weeks and could you deploy that in you know, an hour when somebody needed to make a change to the control environment for the pandemic? I think you probably would say, yes, you could do that because what you ended up doing was just changing the oversight activities that you had on the back end, right? You may have just had more continuous monitoring that you needed to spin up, spin up more analytics or dashboards or SLAs or metrics. Could you use your existing risk oversight framework and programs to manage your response? So again, could you track issues and remediations centrally and report on a frequent basis? And the last question I have here is, do your risk programs and process allow you to quickly identify control environment changes and perform outreach? We've talked a lot about this, but did you have something that was up to date where you could quickly reach out to those control owners, third party owners, technology owners, whoever it may be, to understand what was changing in the environment related to the event? These are just a few questions we can ask ourselves to be ready for the next disruption event. If your risk programs and practices are well understood, your risk cultural culture will be ready and able to utilize the tools and practices that you put in place to manage any event with little disruption to each other and to your customers.